Welcome to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Your host, Jesse Jameson, has a real treat for you. You are about to hear a great story. And if Jesse brings his A-game, some good commentary too. And later on, we'll let you know how you can join Jesse as a guest. Now, without further ado, here's Jesse. You want to go where the girls are all hoes and none of the guys got game. You want to show where nobody knows you're lame ass story yet, but we're about to find out. I'm Jesse Jameson. Welcome to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Today's victim, or I should say friend, is Andrew from my favorite city in the world, Las Vegas. The title of Andrew's story is Get in the Van. And you know, it's interesting because I have a a daughter. She's 25 now. And when she was a little girl, I always said, don't ever go to anybody in a van. If somebody asks you to, you know, come and help them find their puppy, the answer is no. And unfortunately, despite all these warnings that parents give, we still tend to have girls that uh, become victimized uh, by evil people out there. Um, Andrew, uh, I I understand that you had a similar situation, uh, thus the name of your show, Get in the Van. I'm sorry that you uh, had to experience these things, but I'm glad that you're here to speak about it. Andrew, the floor is yours. Tell us where this story began. Thanks for having me on today, Jesse. I really appreciate it. This is awesome. Now, uh, you're you're laughing and giggling. Did you have a good experience? I your... had a great experience getting in the van, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't leaning towards what you're talking to. Oh, crap. Are you sure, are you sure this is going to be a good story? Then? This is okay. a great story. It, it's, uh, you know, I came from playing in a punk rock band and uh, the the title of the story is get in the van and it is about my band's very first tour kind of a mini tour we uh based out of las vegas my band's name is loose change we started in late 2012 we came up through the local las vegas music scene which is a great music scene there's a lot of great music there a lot of great punk rock and rock and roll it's vegas it's sin city so it all goes you know hand in hand (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Andrew, I was in the World Series of Poker in 06 and 07. That is and awesome. I, I, know, int- I know exactly where that is held. It's at the uh, Rio Hotel. That's that's correct. Uh, and what's interesting is, is 06 and 07 feels like yesterday to me because, you know, after that I went through a divorce and then I went through a foreclosure and I went through some money issues. <laughs> so I haven't been back really since, since 06 and 07. But... Um, you know, I've been saving money through this COVID situation, so I'm hoping to, to go back. So I just want you to know that I can kind of picture the strip in my mind already. So you uh, started a band. Let, take me back to right before maybe you started a band. Was was this something that you got together with some buddies in high school or college? Or Bas- give me the time frame. Basically, so what happened is, is I've been playing drums since about sixth grade, so 12, 13 years old. Um, I had a jazz drum teacher that taught me how to play the basics and stuff like that. And then um, as I got heavier and heavier into rock and roll and punk rock and stuff like that throughout middle school and high school, about senior year of high school, I got approached from a friend who was a bassist in another band um, a few years before that. And he approached me and uh, was also another good friend of my older brother, uh, David. And he's basically said, hey, I'm thinking about starting a punk rock band. Would you be interested in, in playing drums? And I, I, I want to get your brother to play guitar and front the band, too, as well. So we ended up getting together and jamming. And the funny part is, is our very first practice, we were supposed to jam at his house, his parents' house. And we get over there with all the gear and everything, and we're going to set up to jam inside this, this nice, uh, nice house. 
And his dad's like, what are you guys doing? You guys can't do that here. <laughs> Immediately shuts it down. What a buzz. Oh, he actually did shut it down. It wasn't like, yeah. come on, dad. Yeah, let, but let's... you know what? The weird part is, is his dad was very supportive of, of the music stuff. I just don't think he wanted to hear us playing this loud, obnoxious punk rock music, aggressive music, you know, in his house after, after he'd been working and stuff like that. So... I think it might have That's been under- something like that. That's understandable. <laughs> how 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 old were you at this time, and what year is this? Just oh, so you have an idea. So late 2012, early 2013. Um, I'm probably 19 years old, 18 years old at at most. <laughs> Okay, got you. <laughs> um, yeah, so we ended up going over to my house and uh, practicing literally in my kitchen. I had a th- we had a three bedroom house and it was a very tiny one built in like the 1960s. And we just said, you know what, we'll just we'll just jam here. And we uh, every night since then we always rehearsed in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so your neighbors obviously hate your guts. Did you not like them either? <laughs> you know what? Actually, one of our neighbors ended up being a musician, another bass player. Um, not really into the same stuff that we were into, but could appreciate that we, what we were trying to do. You know, so that was a good thing. And we didn't really get the cops called on us too too often. <laughs> Oh, that means you did once in a while. Oh huh? yeah, yeah. We we had a couple house shows and stuff. We we frequently would play house parties and club shows and stuff like that. Um, building up to this tour that we're going to talk about. Um, like I said, Las Vegas music scene had a really, really strong scene. It was almost like a brotherhood type thing. The, the you know, the, the respect between artists and stuff like that was definitely there. And there was a lot of great bands that came out of there that just didn't get their due, I think, you know, um, and especially on a national level. But uh, that that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> we, so basically everyone's supportive. They might exactly. come across, like where I would think, oh, this is a friend, friend of me in, in your regards. It really was a, a, a true support. Oh, absolutely. We all relied on each other to get on other bills for shows and stuff like that and to tour together and uh, basically stick together, you know, to try to help one another out, get over the hump and, and break out. You know, I know music is so important to up-and-coming artists. Um, Here in Phoenix, we used to have a place called the Mason Jar, and we might still have it. I don't know. But I remember friends when I was in high school and first couple years after high school, they were constantly going to do gigs at the Mason Jar. Okay. Um, So I I can understand the love that you have. Were you born uh, singing music with the mom and dad? Basically, my earliest music memory would be the Beatles, Yellow Submarine. That was the first song I can remember hearing and like sitting on the kitchen floor as a little kid singing that. So, it's a very uh, it's a very fun song to kind of sing with others. I only know the chorus part, right? Yeah, we yeah. all live. <laughs> it's the only words I know of it. But, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's, and that's basically what I was doing as a little a little child sitting on the kitchen floor just singing along to that, you know? So that's probably my earliest memory for music, but I got my first drum set Oh, man, I had to be five years old, six years old. I got one of those little like toy kind of drum sets that you can find at like Target or Walmart. And I just that I knew that's what I wanted to do from that moment on. <laughs> so did you do singing at all or were you mainly the drummer? I was mainly the drummer. I did. I did write uh, write lyrics and stuff like that. But uh, my older brother was more of the singer, especially in our group, Loose Change. Him, him and the bass player shared vocal duties on different songs. Is there a story behind the title Loose Change? And how there actually is that? between the two of them. Um, my oldest brother and my the bass player, Brandon, uh, were remodeling a house uh, that Brandon's father owned. And in the process of remodeling the house, they were messing around 
And somehow, one, one way or another, my brother shot Brandon in the foot with a nail gun. <laughs> and Yeah, and in the process, the, how the story goes from them is that some loose change fell out of their pocket. And they, they were already talking about starting a band. And they were like, hey, loose change is a pretty, pretty good name. You know, and, I, I agree. And yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it, it stuck. And then they approached me to join the band. And, and I was I had already played in a band before that. So I, I was all game for it. My exes refer to me as loose change because they're always trying to jingle money out of my pocket. <laughs> uh, did you have did you have um, how can I explain this? When I was growing up in the 80s, because I'm a little bit older than you, I was born in 76. OK. But when I was growing up in the 80s, I remember uh, a lot of bands had the big hair, right? The yeah, big 80s hair metal bands. hair bands, yeah. Right, and I just remember girls were always in love with all the rockers. The guys, was there a piece of you that wanted the girl action oh, coming abs- from that? Oh, absolutely. I think every artist, you know, that they'd be lying to you if they said they didn't get into music, to, you know, to try to get some girls or, you know vice versa for the women that get into music <laughs> did you have did you have a girlfriend at this time uh no not really you know but we did have acquaintances and stuff like that along the way from gigs and from time to time now when you say acquaintances <laughs> do you mean groupies yes that's another way to put it yeah all my friends are so lucky <laughs> i swear getting a girl for me is like getting a flu or a cold it only happens once every handful and, of years yeah. <laughs> and that's 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 why I, I call them acquaintances to kind of make it sound a little bit you know finesse it a little better than groupies i would say <laughs> yeah i apologize for no it's okay women. no <laughs> <laughs> but yeah all right put- so let me ask you this mm-hmm. Bands always think a little bit more highly of themselves maybe than other people do until they make it big. Then everybody loves them, right? Were you guys better than than people thought or were you guys worse than or or better than you thought or worse than you thought? You know, the strange thing is, Jesse, is in the short amount of time when we first came out, we just hit gigs, the, the, the rounds, the venues so hard and played multiple nights a week and just every weekend out there doing a show or a house show. Uh, like I said, sometimes three times a week we were doing shows. Uh, we got noticed pretty quickly within, you know, the bands that had been around longer than us in our scene. So we started to get picked up pretty quick onto different shows and just, you know, it, it, it seemed to all happen pretty fast for us at the beginning. So all the other bands are supportive until they realize you guys are halfway decent. And then they're like, those SOPs. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? We never really experienced any, like, we never got into any pissing matches with, with other bands to, to come to think of it, you know? I can't remember any time where it was like, oh, we're better than you or they're better than us, you know? It just, right. it all ca- came together. And that was the nice part is that it was, if everyone was working together, we really were putting on some great shows. We put on a festival one time that uh, at a venue called the Ice Palace in Las Vegas, and that would that was a venue that had housed Led Zeppelin, Steppenwolf, Cream, all kinds of iconic bands, The Doors. So it, it, you know, to be able to do stuff like that was really where it was at. So let me ask you this: Are you still a part of Loose Change today in 2021? Loose Change did two farewell shows in Las Vegas. Um, a few years ago, I want to say 2018, 2017, 2018. And uh, we, we all live in different states now from each other. So it's hard to really get together to do shows. But we have talked about jamming together and maybe possibly doing some, you know, because during 2020 with COVID, everybody's so split up and, and everybody has different opinions and thoughts about, 
you know, getting catching this stuff, this virus and all that. So we thought about maybe doing a Zoom jam session together because it's been so long. But who knows? You never know. Never say never. So you're a free agent now, but this isn't about now. This is about <laughs> then, right? So exactly. you're, starting to, you're starting to do these gigs. Yep. And did they want you to be a member of the band right from the get-go? Did, did your brother kind of say, hey, my brother knows how to play drums? I like, think I think that's really how it came came about is they were my brother. Brandon and my brother had already had this idea, like, we're going to start a band and all that. And then they were just like, well, we know Andy plays drums. Andrew plays drums. So let's let's just ask him. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I literally was the final piece to the fold of the group. I think I think what talked them, what pushed them over the top to bring you on was the nail in the foot. Somebody nails me yeah. in the foot with a nail gun. <laughs> I'm going to be like, yeah, your brother's fine. Let's yeah. get him on. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been some persuasion there. <laughs> but, you know, we ended up making a couple albums and doing a couple CD compilations with other bands from Las Vegas. Um, put out an actual vinyl record, which is really a big deal to me because I collect vinyl and stuff like that. So I thought that was really cool to have my own band pressed on actual vinyl. We made a live album that was that was pretty pretty stellar. A fan actually recorded us uh, unknowingly to us. Um, we got back from this tour that we're going to talk about, and the fan actually ended up giving me the live album when I got back from tour. It's very cool, and I agree with you. I think records and vinyl are so cool that I actually have a record player here. Um, and it's not an old school one from when I was a kid. A couple years back, some of the stores were starting to sell, you know, record yeah. players again. So I, we picked one up. Yeah, no, they've definitely made a resurgence. And it's kind of interesting to see that, you know, to because I've been collecting records since I was in, in, you know, fifth, sixth grade as a kid. So it's it just it was it was like, oh, wow, this this stuff's starting to catch on. I've been into this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cool. I, I one of the things I remember as a kid is occasionally you'd get a record that would skip. Right? Oh, absolutely! So you hear a line, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Did I just hear that same line again?" And then, "Oh yeah, I did." <laughs> it's, yeah. it's on a loop, right? Going. Dah, dah, don't, dah. <laughs> don't leave them in the car. They tend to get warped. <laughs> I never thought about that because of the heat. Absolutely. You know, Arizona and Nevada are very similar heat-wise. When I'm in Phoenix and when I'm in Las Vegas, I I can't tell the difference heat-wise. They they both feel hot as heck during uh, the summer. Absolutely. And uh, when I decided to move out here to to Arizona to Phoenix, that, that was a big deciding factor i was like you know what it's not much change from what i'm used to other than that we don't you know it's it's we're not tourist based <laughs> vegas is completely on uh, tourism and all that so uh that's i believe that's why they're having such a hard time now you know and uh, they'll they'll bounce back though I know it's ghost towny out there now, yeah. but when you were there, it was like a party every day, even during all the, the time. Days, and, right? You know, I did radio there too for uh, the local rock station there for a few years, and I was on a morning show as well with that same station. And it was it was really party time all the time. <laughs> I, I I miss Vegas, and I can't wait to go back. So oh, but me I too. Go, I want to go. I miss those people there too, though, because you know the last thing you'd want to do is go when it's kind of. Uh, ghost townish. Exactly. It's it's kind of it's like I said. It's kind of a sad sight to see, but I have the utmost faith that they will. They always bounce back, you know, regardless of of what the adver adversity they face. Now we've got about a minute or so before break. Okay. You guys ended up going on tour, I believe. Yep. But before you go on tour, you have to kind of feel like you're ready. Um, were you guys making improvements really quickly? Were you guys better in month two or three than you were maybe in week two or three? 
Absolutely. It was really strange. Like I said, it kind of all happened so fast and we were rehearsing a lot pretty much every day of the week. It's what it felt like, at least. We were always around, always together. always It was always something for the band, doing something to, to further the band. So, um, And I think that's really what separated us in the beginning from you know our peers, is, is we, we really were about it, and we really dove in headfirst, and even into merchandising and branding and everything all on our own. We did everything in-house, and we can get more into that into the next uh, part of the show, so... But yeah, it's it's we really went in uh, headstrong and hit it hard right off the, right off the bat. Yeah, the reason your contemporaries weren't uh, as good as you guys is because they were all partying, and you guys, you know, yeah, we guys had no <laughs> we, friends. You guys we, were weren't cool enough. We to did be keep, partying. We kept a pretty tight knit. <laughs> we kept a pretty tight knit group too. We had a couple um, guys that always rolled around with us and help us load in and stuff like that. I don't want to call them roadies because they were really good friends of ours, but that's they they provided that that service for us too as well. <laughs> oh, okay. I got you. So you so, guys were cool. Okay. Yeah, so you know. <laughs> uh, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. And then when we get back, uh, we're going to find out a little bit more about Get In The Van with Andrew from Las Vegas. We'll be right back. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. When it comes to financial planning, most of us would probably rather have a root canal. Math, budgets, keeping ourselves and our loved ones secure after retirement, planning for retirement, risk, reward, and the like. How do you find the answers you need? Tune into Fiscal Fitness with John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina. They'll help you feel more secure in your investments and your future. Listen every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear, and listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you tired of feeling disconnected and shut down? Since every choice has ripple effects, lasting happiness is a product of the choices we make each day. Tune in to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Lorianne Rising and Uncle Mark Olmsted introduced you to authors, musicians, artists, and innovators, all actively engaged in designing a world that works for everyone. Make sure you're along for the ride, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? 
It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and friends. And we're back. So, Andrew, I was never into music. I liked sports and I like cards and I like games, but I was never into music. But you guys are. And not only were you into music, you guys obviously had a little bit of talent going for you. So maybe you could also tell us a little bit about how it was, uh, you know, at the beginning, uh, as far as, you know, you're realizing that you guys are better than average. Let me, let me put it that way. Um, it really started to click, um, like I said, when we, you start to hear it from your peers at other shows and stuff like that. You're starting to get put on as the, the very first opening act of the night and stuff. And you can start hearing bands talk about you and say, you know, these guys are really starting to come up quick and you know, they sound great. These songs, you know, the, the, it's, it happens to bands that, that advance that, that way. So in about late 2013, 2014, we were approached by a band that we had already been gigging with. Um, their name was Sector 7G. They're a very um, popular local Las Vegas band. They're a great band. It's a three-piece band, and we're a three-piece band. So they were approaching us to do a tour with them, sort of a mini tour. And we had never been on a tour. We had only been doing local shows, club shows, house parties, you know, you name it. We were we were doing the local stuff, the local scene. <laughs> Andrew, 7G, that's seven grams. That's like a quarter of weed, right? I'm cool. You know, yeah, <laughs> you could say that. But also, if you're a Simpsons fan, you know that the the sector of the nuclear power plant that Homer Simpson works in, his sector is named Sector 7G. So oh, I very also, cool. Yeah, I also thought it was a play on that as well. And I, knowing the drummer Dennis, is he's a very... Uh, he's very into the Simpsons. So I, I, I was like, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're a great band, too. They, they have a lot of great stuff out. They put out an album called The Good, The Bad, The Funky, um, a play on The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, and it's 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 awesome. And they, they, hey, um, you said that a lot of these friends were coming up to you talking about how you know, you're getting better and wow, you're really starting to kick butt. I have a secret way of telling friends when I think they're successful. You want to know what it is? What's that? I go up to them and I go, hey, Andrew. God, you're going to get so much tail. I wish I was you. <laughs> That's how I always judge it, right? I always, I'm always like, oh, my God, they're going to get so much tail. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, obviously, you guys uh, are having a lot of fun here. Give me an idea of Sector 7G. Were they a little bit above you guys, and they're kind of I would you, I, taking you under their wing? I would say so, absolutely. And it's very funny how we met Sector 7G, as we were scheduled to do a show, our very first show, actually, um, ever was supposed to be at a barbecue place, believe it or not. And um, it's really weird to have a punk rock show at something like that. So we were going to do the show with a few other punk bands, and it was our very first live gig ever, other than just doing re- rehearsing at home. And uh, we get to the venue, and nobody knows anything about the gig. The bar owner is like, yeah, we canceled it. Everybody can get out of here and stuff. So... In a scramble, we find another show that's going on. Sector 7G happens to be on that bill for that show. And we're like, we'll go down there and see if we can get on that bill too as well. And the the place was called The Underworld. It was all like horror themed and like scary looking and stuff. And uh, this guy puts us on the bill last minute. We ended up meeting Sector 7G and it just from there that night on hit off a relationship that with that band between the two bands that was great. And we, I do believe Sector is definitely... Um, a veteran kind of band in Las Vegas, you know what I mean? They, they've they've paid their dues and they've been on the scene for a really long time and have truly great music. 
You know, if I was there with my mom and dad eating at, you know, pork barbecue yeah. place, right? <laughs> I don't think I'd want to hear punk music either. I'd I, be like, you know, these ribs are so damn messy and now I got to listen to this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think they want to hear the wall of noise that's about to hit them, you know? Right. <laughs> so, but that that gig happened and all that. And like I said, it spawned a pretty good relationship between all the bands on that bill. We all kind of stuck pretty close to each other throughout the years. Um, coming up through the ranks. So, um, as far as girls go, man, though, they're, you know, they were there. Um, it's just, it depends on how, how you want to delve into it, you know? <laughs> well, here's the interesting thing. If you're a punk band, are, are, were the girls at the time, did they have those big gauges in their That's, ear and did they have pink hair? The and safety were they not pins necess- through the nose and the, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. Dreads and stuff like that. And, you know, there was other times too where we would play like Fremont Street in Las Vegas, downtown Old Vegas. And, you know, you might be playing the Las Vegas Country Saloon down there, which is a really, like, it's a legitimate venue and and it's it's a full-on production venue and uh you would probably run into girls down there celebrating their 21st birthday or something like that you know and they happen to see your show and you might you might just take them home <laughs> or go, I have a, I have go a, to their I have place a goofy, i have a goofy question for you when i'm thinking of girls at a country bar <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of you know the red shirts, the blue jeans, That's and shit and shit kickers. Exactly. For the people at home, what are shit kickers? Shit kickers are cowboy boots. Hey, there you go. <laughs> First time somebody said, "Do you own any shit kickers?" I was like, "I don't know what you're talking about. What is that?" And they're like, "Cowboy boots." Because here in Arizona, we have a ton of, or at least we used to have a ton of cowboy. Oh, uh, absolutely. And I'm sure we still do. I just don't follow it. But let me ask you this: as a punk rocker, is it really? Do you get a little bit more nervous energy when you're trying to perform at a barbecue or at a a country bar? Because obviously, I'd imagine country folks really don't like punk rock. Or you know what? It's it, absolutely. It's always you get under those bills or like lineups and stuff, festivals and stuff, where you get paired up with certain bands that you definitely probably wouldn't play with normally. It happens, but you just roll with it. Play you play every show like you're playing the garden or you're playing the, the form or something. You know. You you just got to go with that attitude and you'll be all right. Whether they like it or not, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> Did you ever get with any of those country girls? Because I've met a couple country girls that chew Copenhagen. Could you imagine going in oh, for man. a kiss and they're like, hold on, let me get this dip yeah. out of my mouth. <laughs> let me spit real quick. Yeah, there's nothing more attractive than that in a woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it, there was always girls. I mean, like I said, we would be lying to say that that, you know, you didn't get into a band to get chicks too as well. That's definitely part of it. What was your uh, most popular song or your believe, go-to song? Believe it or not, our most popular song, and this is going to sound hilarious by the title, and, uh, you know, excuse my French, our most popular song was called Fuck My Friends. <laughs> <laughs> and we're punk rock, so. And it was uh, literally like our rock and roll all night. That was our last song of the night every show, and people on our live album, people are chanting it, you know, in the audience for us to play it and stuff. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, that, yeah. Because that actually, I could picture the audience, fuck my friends. Yeah, exactly. It's a song, it was like a play, just a playful song and it's it's something everybody can relate to. <laughs> By the way, through the years, we have good friends and bads. I, I, I've, I've said that saying many a times. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. <laughs> so, you know, leading up when Sector approached us for this tour, 
we were like, oh man, so this this must mean this is the real deal. We're actually ready to go on the road and take it to other people. We had people traveling to our local shows from Utah and Colorado and Arizona and stuff like that that would approach us and be like, hey, we came down here from, you know, Utah, Salt Lake City, and we heard you on Reverb Nation. We, we had to see you guys in person. And we were kind of that band where our studio stuff sounds good, but we're a much better live band. Interesting, because yeah. <laughs> I always I always feel like it's the opposite. Do I like going to live concerts? Of course, but because of the people. Yeah. Um, but I feel like stuff sounds better in the studio. You guys actually sound a little bit better live, so that's that's probably a good thing. It, we sounded more polished in the studio, but like there was more rawness and and aggression and stuff like that in the live performances. You could see. You know, when the crowd, the mosh pits would start getting crazy and stuff like that, we'd start throwing out T-shirts to the crowd and stuff just to get them to get even more intense and fun. <laughs> and can you describe? Wall. Can you describe a mosh pit maybe for some of our younger yeah, listeners? Yeah, yeah. So a mosh pit is uh, when you go to a heavier or aggressive show, heavier music show, punk rock, rock and roll, heavy metal. There's a mosh pit, and it's basically people. They used to call it slam dancing. People bouncing into each other, having fun. It's all in good. It's supposed to be in good nature. It's every now and then some stuff happens, but you know, you're, you're supposed to have, a, it's a good way to get your angst out and stuff when you're a teenage punk rocker, you know, bouncing off the walls, having a good time. And that to me yeah, is we, what a live performance should be is you should be there to have a good time and to let loose. It's your, it's your night off from all the, the day-to-day drudge that you have to deal with. You know, when you were 18, 19, did you guys have after hours clubs where they would shut off the alcohol tap and then they'd let people come in? Because we did here in Phoenix and I went to this place called The Grind when I was like 19 and they had a mosh pit. And what's interesting is the people that enjoy the mosh pit tend to be kind of bigger and bulkier guys yeah so i was a small guy and i was like i don't think that's gonna work for me (laughs) i'm just gonna watch because it looks like people are about to get in a fight but like you said they just kind of smile laugh it off and keep you try you try to make it like if if there's always that general rule if one man goes down you you pick him up you know you don't you don't step on him you don't walk past him it try you try to keep it a brotherhood thing amen but yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So as we're building up for this tour, we're prepping our, like I said uh, before the, the last break, we used to make our own merch. We kept everything in house. So we were prepping, printing T-shirts, patches, buttons, um, more music, uh, CDs, all that stuff, stickers. Um, we were basically the kiss of punk rock. We tried to do a little bit of everything to just to get the brand and the name out there because it really is. That's what music is nowadays. And, and I think the sooner... Younger bands realize that the better off they are because albums just don't sell anymore and you have to make up the the means somewhere else to be able to do it for a living. Now that's how it is now, but in 2012, did you guys was it still kind of a it, little bit the other way where uh, like was this a learning process to learn what it, you just said? Absolutely. We learned a lot too from bands that came before us like the Misfits and stuff, especially when it came to doing merchandise. And just screen printing and all that. We learned how to do all the screen printing, pressing at home, doing it ourselves. And then when we did that, we also took note like, hey, we can help other bands that are coming up with us and stuff and just teach them how to do this. That way, none of us ever have to really, you know, as far as creative control and stuff, we everybody can retain that within their own bands. Very cool. Was there a money opportunity there? Oh, absolutely. You have to make that, that merchandise and sell it, you know. 
and uh, you're making shirts that are costing you two dollars to make, and you sell them for ten, fifteen bucks while you're out. Well, there. Those are your own shirts, but I mean, for fellow bands, would they maybe pay you guys three dollars? You know shirt what? You know what our our deal usually was. It was like, hey, buy a case of beer and and, and come over. We'll hang out, and I'll show you how to do it and teach you how to make the screen and everything. That way, you know how, what you're doing, and then I'll kind of just guide you along. And me and my brother would do it for other bands. Um, like I said, I would rather show them how to do it than just take their money and do it. <laughs> Andrew, you know, you and I are, we, we're coworkers. We work together. Absolutely. But this past year, you've been there in the studio. I've been working uh, from home because of COVID. Uh-huh. Um, but God, you sound like a great guy. We should go out to lunch when, when we get back in. I'm going to take you to Chipotle or someplace. Awesome, man. Really, Chiba really Hut. fancy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go over to Chiba Hut and get a pinner, man. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So leading up to the tour, the um, you know, my, my parents were really excited about it because um, my father and mother have always pushed the music stuff for me and my brother. They've always been super supportive about it throughout our entire lives. So without them, we really wouldn't have done it, you know, it, to begin with. Act, actually even been playing music or had an interest in it to begin with. So um, that was that was definitely cool for them to to see us do all that and like I said leading up to that tour prepping everything we had this van um, our bass player's dad's van actually and he had this van custom built and stuff years ago for his own you know his own stuff and he's gonna let us use it for this tour Jesse this van is like the primo touring van that you could get for a local band you know um the next stepped up would have been like a prevost bus <laughs> now let me ask you a question at the beginning i poked fun at the chomo mobile which is like a big white van with a guy with a cute puppy <laughs> saying please help me right help right. me little girl um but i gotta be honest i had friends that had minivans growing up because they had you know maybe kids and what have you and or they were the kids and their parents had the minivan I like vans. I think vans are really, really cool. Me too. Um, you just can't drive. You just can't play um, ice cream truck music out of it and try to look for little kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> People might take that the wrong way, Jesse. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but this van, man, like literally it had a fold down bed in the back. It had captain's chairs in front of that and another set of caps captain's chairs in front of that and on the windows had pulled down shades and all that so it was perfect for touring and uh it fit all all six actually we took seven of us on the road so and as i was saying um you know with my parents being so involved one of the best moments of all of this is when we were getting ready to take off for the tour um, outside the house, we're loading up the last bit of gear and all that and saying bye to everyone. And they're, they're at the band house watching us leave. And they started to get a little choked up as we were packing up and taking off. You know, that that kind of made uh, all the work and stuff pretty much worth it. <laughs> were they getting choked up because you guys were planning on going on the road for a long period of time? Or what, how long were you guys guesstimating we, this road trip? We were only be? going out for four or five days. At, at it, Like I said, it was a short mini run and we were coming right back in. I just think it was the fact that we are, were actually doing it, you know, and then it had gotten to that point of actually going on a tour of sorts, you know? So I thought, I thought that was, that was, like it, I said, that moment was really cool to see. That is a beautiful thing. It's got to be that because if they're afraid of losing out on you and their life for four days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been missing out on you and my life for the past year and yeah. I'm still okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> so we have about a minute left. Describe that 
cool away when you actually hit the gas and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so we took off. We all piled into the van, all of us from my house, and uh, the gear, we had a U-Haul trailer behind us, one of those little enclosed ones full of the gear, and uh, we tried to share equipment as best we could to save on space and all that, and uh, we took one of our good friends, Chad, with us as a as a uh, quote-unquote wo- uh, roadie. <laughs> so <laughs> that was uh, it was awesome, man. And also to keep in mind a preview for the next segment, Denver and Colorado in general had just gone through recreational marijuana and all that stuff. So we this tour was just a party from the day day one <laughs> through throughout. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And and let's be honest, uh, recreational marijuana in Colorado, I'm just guessing because I live in Arizona where they just approved recreational marijuana, but we don't have it set up yet. But I'm guessing it would be like the medical marijuana is here where they have tons of flavors and all, choices to choose from. Absolutely. All kinds of crazy stuff. Crazy goodness. I'm going to load a bong here, but before I do, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back to uh, find out a little bit more about how this tour went with Andrew. So stay tuned. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. In business, many leaders have a great vision, but find their companies are lacking adequate execution. Transformative Experts with host Chris Elias takes you behind the scenes with real-life business leaders and transformative experts who can pinpoint why. Listen to learn how company culture drives execution to optimize results. How can you afford to miss it? Tune in live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you ever been interested in technology or the application? Technology is always changing and there is definitely a place for you in it. Listen for Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. Sharon and her guests teach you the skill set and present resources that help you incorporate and enhance technological know-how in your current career as well as prepare you for future success. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. And welcome back. So, Andrew, you're in the van so we, we've technically gotten past the get in the van part, right? You're in Absolutely. the van. You're with your, your bandmates. You're getting ready to go to, I assume, Colorado first. Yes. So uh, we did a show in Vegas the night before that. We get into the van. We head out, all that. We get to, to actual Colorado by sunrise the next day. We're rolling in early in the morning, hanging out. And our first show, first stop is Colorado Springs. 
And the weird part about Colorado Springs, Jesse, I know you're a big Back, back to the Future fan. I don't know if your listeners know this, but Jesse, Jesse uh, likes Back to the Future. This city looked verbatim, like looked just like the city that Marty McFly grew up in, like the little town, the little Hill city. Valley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> looked just like that. It was really weird. It was like stuck in time almost. And um, we get there, we're hanging out. We're just, and, you know, when you're on tour and you get to the to each city, you're gonna go and hang out and just bomb around town and and try to find some fun stuff to do. Try to get a lay of the land and see what you're gonna do for the night. Uh, maybe figure out something to do after the show. Did you say get a lay somewhere in the land or get a lay of the land? <laughs> uh, either way, whichever you prefer. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> I have, I've never been to Colorado, but for some reason I imagine there being a lot of snow bunnies, you know, women in parkas that just look really adorable. Were Absolutely. there some good-looking women in Colorado? Absolutely. So Colorado Springs especially, it was like, like I said, stuck in time. It was really weird. Then uh, they had all, a lot of art stuff, artsy fartsy stuff around <laughs> and like statues and stuff like that. So um, cool little city. We roll in and uh, we're, we're trying to figure out what we're doing. We found the venue. Obviously, it's too early to do anything there to even load in or anything. So we're like, hey, we need to get a hotel room for the night. So each band, you know, we have a place to lay our heads. We don't want to sleep in the van if we don't have to with all seven of us, you know, and uh we, we go on the hunt for a hotel. Now, we found this place. It was the Econo Lodge. And uh, I don't remember what street it was off of, but it was in Colorado Springs. And this this is in an area that doesn't look very safe, I would say. It doesn't look oh very God, nice. You found, you found the ghetto of exactly. Colorado Springs. Exactly. So we end up getting this room. They were like, I don't know, 80 bucks a night, 60 bucks a night, something stupid like that. So we each band is footing funding their parts of the tour, you know, so sectors buying their own rooms, we're buying our own rooms. Um, so we each each band is sharing their own room. So we get in and we're like, all right, everything looks good. We didn't really stick around at the hotel too long at this point. We jam back to the venue to load up into the show. And with most tours, especially smaller bands, um, it's really weird. Tours can start off either, they can go one of two ways. They can start off either really good or they can start off just really bad. And this first night was was the latter, was 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 definitely pretty bad. In what way? <laughs> okay, so the band, the performance wasn't bad by any means. We, we, we went out and did what we normally do. We rocked, sector rocked, we leveled the place. The only problem is nobody showed up. <laughs> so here's the deal. We get there to the venue later in the afternoon to start loading in. The bar side of it is pretty, pretty busy. I see a lot of black t-shirts, a lot of piercings and stuff like that. I'm like, all right, good crowd. This is, these are our people. This is our crowd, you know, and thinking this is a good turnout for the first night, probably 50, 60 people for the first night for a club show. That's not bad for a local band. And not, uh, bad, not bad at all. Yeah. So, um, we were playing with some other local, you know, Colorado bands because they, they were going to be the headliners for the show. And it's, it, it starts getting later and later. And as time as showtime starts, we go on stage about nine o'clock, nine thirty. And there's nobody in there. Like, literally, it's the sound guy and some bar backs and stuff like that and other bands. And that's now why. Now, how did it go from 60 to none? Was it one of those things where after a band plays, there are 13 fans leave the next band plays their 10 fans leave? See, that's that's the like thing that. it was we were the first band of the night on this on this show. And 
it just seemed like after about seven thirty, eight o'clock, the the bar side of it started to get a little light, and then we started playing, and just it just wasn't. It was weird. It was just it fell right on its face the first night of the tour. So it was really like, oh no, like we hope the rest of the tour doesn't go like this. This is you know not good. We wrap up that show. We load up to head back to the hotel. We had to go get paid and all that. So we make a couple hundred bucks from that show. We head back to the hotel, back to the Econo Lodge. And at night, this place is starting to look really rough, man. There's there's some strange characters out in the parking lot wandering around. <laughs> there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. Maybe possibly some drug dealing going on around there and stuff. Right. You know, great neighborhood. And... uh we hang out, all the bands are partying, but we got rooms right next to each other, so we're all hanging out, you know, trying not to destroy the place or anything. It's already pretty bad, so <laughs> um, we're kicking back, and like I said, there's all this shady stuff going on outside, so at the end of the night, we're all going to bed, and I can't remember who exactly did it, but one of us put the chair up against the door to like brace it because it was old school hotel locks like with the key and the key tag on it it wasn't so like you guys, you guys are actually afraid someone's gonna come in the room so yeah you, you, you jimmy a door up against the uh <laughs> you jam it in there underneath the uh door handle right exactly. so it's leveraged shut we're just like we'll, we'll we'll put we'll brace this door and you know get through this night and all that as i'm laying on the bed <laughs> Two things happened as we were in this hotel room relaxing, trying to get some sleep for the next, the next, the drive to the next city. And uh, I'm laying back and I look over towards the AC unit and like, you know how hotel rooms have like that baseboard that runs across the wall. It's usually like uh, carpeted baseboard. Mm-hmm. Um, I look real close and I'm like, what the hell is that sticking out of the top of the baseboard? And I'm not joking you. There's, there's mushrooms growing out of the damn wall, out of the baseboard in this room you're oh my god are you serious legit mushrooms and we're like what the hell is going on here and then on top of that one of the guys that was sleeping on the floor ended up getting some roaches that ran across him at night (laughs) while he's sleeping i just thought i just thought about something (laughs) roaches are gross but think back to the mushrooms i believe mushrooms grow up from something dead below and that's that's what i was thinking like and Oh, yeah, oh yeah man it was just one of those things that i'll never and like if you saw the manager of this place i don't want to like trash anyone or anything like that but it was just like this guy i don't know how to describe it but he was just this big heavy set d- dirty guy that was just didn't care about anything man <laughs> was, oh, no, straight out of a horror movie right yeah, basically take, take the last room on the left you know i don't know if you've ever seen the movie halloween the rob zombie mm-hmm. one um, I have not. Okay, they flash to Michael Myers' feet in that in that movie, and they're like black and nasty, like just they look like something out of like a, something out of a horror movie. Basically, that's this guy looked like that. He was walking around barefoot <laughs> everywhere around the complex and stuff. It was like, oh my god, he wanted some music from us too, and we were like fumbling to find a CD, and we're like, why are we even doing this? Let's just get out of here. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> so going on to the next night, the next city stop is denver which denver is a big city there's a lot of cool stuff to do there obviously the broncos are there the football team so we went by mile high stadium my brother's a broncos fan we saw that um we didn't actually like get to go and tour it or anything but we got to go see it um in person we get into denver and we have all day to burn up basically so probably six seven hours of of stuff to do 
we go down to this the street called 16th Street, where it's like it's kind of like their version of Vegas is Fremont Street, where like all these shops and stuff are, restaurants, all these bars. So we go down there during the afternoon and we're hanging out, just bombing around town. We went and smoked some cigars, um, went to the rec weed shop and bought all kinds of crazy edibles and and flour and all kinds of stuff, and. Uh, we go get this pizza, and this pizza's like 30 inches wide. We get two of them, actually. And uh, both bands are sitting there having their lunch and stuff like that. And we keep seeing these people putting around on bicycles, like rental bicycles, you know. And uh, we go, man, that looks pretty pretty cool. We should probably go do that. And me and Chad, uh, the guy that's helping us do roadie stuff, basically are like, I don't know if we want to do that. That looks like a lot of work and, you know, we're high and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing we want to do is be sitting on a bike and pedaling. Actually have to, having to do stuff. And uh, But the other guys went and got bikes after the pizza place and they, me and Chad are walking around. They all of a sudden come blowing past us on these bikes, ringing their bells and stuff, having a blast. And we're like, all right, now we want some bikes. <laughs> <laughs> now we got to get, we, we got to do this now. So we hop on and ride along with them. And we just bombed around town in Denver over at the Capitol building out. And they have a big park out there and we hung out and, you know, bombed around some record stores and stuff and just got a good feel for Denver. And it was an awesome city. Very cool. Very nice people out there. Um, it, it was definitely a cool experience that night. We're going to do a show. And during the day we had uh, kind of, forgotten to find a hotel room to stay at in Denver in the city. So we're like, all right, we'll have to figure that out after the show. So we do this show at a bar. I can't remember the name of the actual club, but they have all these NASCAR trophies and hoods and stuff on the wall, hanging on the wall. And it's, 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 it's a club setting and all that. So there's a couple more Colorado bands on this bill. We end up doing the show. We go on, I think second or third on the bill this time, the place is getting packed. We start playing. Literally there's stuff falling off the walls from like the, the vibration and shit like that. One of the hoods fell off the wall and then people are moshing. There was people out on the back patio, literally breaking ashtrays and dishes and stuff, just going nuts. <laughs> so it got, it got pretty crazy at that show. And it was, uh, it was really redeeming from the first night of the tour. You know, it's funny, like the first night sounds kind of calm and mellow, more my speed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that night, you know, you got hoods falling off. You know, if a car hood hits you and it falls off the wall, that, that could probably, and, you know, knock you out if it hits you on the head. Right? And that was on the side of the stage by the drum set. Because I remember hearing it fall down, like looking over and going like, oh, man, like, is everything cool? <laughs> yeah, you guys are going to have to pay for that. <laughs> and another thing I forgot to mention about, about Denver is they're at higher elevation from what I was used to playing locally shows in Vegas and stuff like that in Arizona so we come up and like the first night I was like man I got pretty winded up there playing you know because it's punk rock we play pretty aggressively and fast um so I'm like man I'm getting winded this is weird the second night after like I was just high on adrenaline and everything from the crowd and all that just it didn't really hit me till after the show and I'm just I'm 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 out of it man it's just completely drained me and we still have to find a hotel and all that. It's about midnight, 1230, when we get everything wraps. So we're getting ready to leave the venue. The other drummer, Dennis, got sick in the van. He had a little too much to drink at the end of the show and got sick in the van. 
and threw up. And uh, me and Brandon ended up cleaning the up the back of the van, cleaning that That's out. The worst. That's the worst. Smell yeah, too. yeah, you know. And it was just we're like, well, we have to get the van cleaned out because we still have to get through the rest of the tour. And uh, we end up finding a Howard Johnson Hotel in Lakewood, Colorado. So we have to drive out to Lakewood, which is a little bit away from Denver. And uh, we get there, and I go in. Me and Brandon go in as a, the, as the two sober guys in the van, and talk to the lady at the front desk and tell her, "Hey, we're a rock and ro- punk rock band. We're on tour. We literally just got done with the show. We don't have anywhere to go, but we do want to get a room. Can we get one just until the morning time and get out? Can you can you help us out?" And she gave us a discounted rate and just said, "You know, you got to be out by 11. So we're coming into this room about one, you know, one thirty in the morning, two o'clock in the morning." The other other members have been drinking and having fun and stuff. So we were literally like out in the van telling them, guys, we have to go in and be quiet, be in our best behavior and not make any noise or anything. This is a nice place. I don't want to get thrown out. We're going to have to share one room together for the for these few hours so we can get some sleep and get back on the road. Two of the members, the one Dennis that got sick and my older brother, David, won't wake up in the van and we're like oh no and snow is starting to fall like fast (laughs) so we're getting worried here we're like well they're not getting up man we're just gonna have to leave them behind fuck it you know just leave them behind and we took sleep yeah yeah we took blankets and stuff that we had in the van and just covered them and we didn't really think about it but it was dumping snow so before we go into the hotel the rest of the band members are all in the room and me and the roadie chad stayed behind and we had we had some hash that we had bought earlier and we're out in a snowstorm trying to smoke this hash so we you know could go inside and chill out and go to sleep and it just wasn't happening man it started to like literally blizzard snow on us and then we get to the hotel room and finally everybody winds down and crashes out the next morning we all wake up and we're like oh yeah where's david and dennis at we don't know where they are. <laughs> yeah. They're underneath the snow. It's probably about like halfway up the truck, right? Dude, we get outside. We b- rush out to the parking lot to go find them. And Dennis is sitting up like uh, E.T. in the little basket on the bike wrapped up right. in blankets. <laughs> Trying to, you know, get his bearings. And he's like, it's so cold. Like, where are we and stuff? Because they were passed out when we stopped. So they had no clue where we were. So that was, oh, that wow. was, yeah, that was pretty funny. Him and my brother were just like, you guys left us behind in a blizzard. Like, yeah, but don't you guys have cell phones? And that was the thing too, you know, is I don't, at the time it was, it was such a mess. Like, I don't think people could find their phones and stuff like that. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. You know, hey, I have, I have a quick question for yeah. you. We only have two minutes, so I don't want to yeah. kill too much time, but I'm wondering now if you can go into a place at one thirty and negotiate a special discount to be out at 11. Is that also a way where you can get an extra day? If I wait till 12.30, so it's technically the next day, and then I rent a room, do I get to stay like that next night? (laughs) That's how it should work to me. That sounds like a great way to get like almost two nights. Right? One more more thing I wanted to add. On the third night of the tour, we played this place called Seventh Circle Collective in Denver, and it was an all-ages venue, like a warehouse. And this place was packed like sardines. And this was the best show of the tour it went off the charts. Kids, like literally during our set, kids were jumping off uh, speaker monitors into the crowd, crowd surfing and moshing. I was outside out by the merch booth handing out stuff to kids that were coming to the show. Literally like 12, 13-year-old kids showing up. 
their parents are dropping them off like, I'll be back to pick you up at nine. <laughs> it was it was awesome. A totally great experience. And it was a very cool little venue, um, kind of like a commune collective kind of type deal that they were running over there. It was awesome. You know, Denver or Colorado is a little different. That was probably just a church. Yeah, right? Yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> dropping off the 12 year olds at church, <laughs> listening to the punk rock band. It was great. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for sharing this experience. Let me ask you real quick because we only have one minute left. Absolutely. Tell me about when the band kind of called it quits because obviously you guys are contemplating getting together again, but I'd imagine. You yeah, guys we. Did. We put on for a couple two, years. Yeah, yeah. We put on. We went on for about four or five years, and then we put on two farewell shows. Uh, I was really busy doing radio at the time and all that in the major market, and just everybody was doing their own thing, starting their own lives. And the, my brother ended up moving to Florida. Um, but before all that, we just did the last two shows, and we got a bunch of the bands that we came up with, and just did one big uh, shin, uh, two last shows with all those bands, and just had a great time, man. It was awesome. I can tell by your voice that it was something you really enjoy and look back on with fondness. Oh, absolutely. Um, in, in closing, though, can we both agree that for boys and girls, somebody tries to get you to go in the van? The answer is no. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Everybody listening, thank you for joining us for another show of Jesse Jameson and Friends, and we will see you next week. And thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me on the show. And listeners, check me out at In the Round with Andrew Taylor and Lee on all podcast platforms available 24-7. Thanks again, Jesse. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Jesse Jameson and Friends. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Be sure to tune in again next week for another great story. Jesse Jameson and Friends is heard every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Jesse Jameson and Friends is a proud presentation of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. All rights reserved. <laughs>